Well, brothers and sisters, happy Sunday. Let us pray. Holy God, may the words of my lips and the meditations of our hearts and minds be pleasing and acceptable unto you, our guide and our destination. Amen. Well, the kingdom of heaven is like a father who, upon having sole child care responsibilities for the weekend, loses his air conditioning unit to the terrible heat. And so he calls his little sister and brings his children over to their house where they can experience air conditioning. And they all go swimming in the pool. <laughs> I just made that up. This Sunday is a beautiful day. And it is a beautiful day for us to gather and worship, to see one another, and to hear these incredible words from our brother Paul. Paul gets a bad rap. He has his epistles, and in some of them, uh, he seems to be filled with love and joy. Read Colossians, or even Ephesians. And then in some of them, he seems a little bit grumpy. First and second Timothy come immediately to mind. The, part, the problem with Paul is that when he met Jesus on that road to Damascus, I think that he assumed he would have five or six years to carry out his ministry. But in Paul's case, he ended up writing for almost 40 years before the Romans finally caught up with him. And so you've got Paul writing in his mid-30s, filled with love and laughter and joy and peace. And you've got Paul in his early 70s. It's a different kind of Paul. <laughs> and I think that any of us, you had to put 40 years of our thoughts and beliefs into the Bible. Well, there'd be some stuff in there. It's a little bit rosy tinted, and there'd be some stuff that'd be a little grumpy. There's no one else in the Bible who has so much of their writing recorded. Maybe Prophet Isaiah a little bit. But Paul is saying to us today, this beautiful message, it's not sufficient for us, in Paul's words, that we simply call each other brothers and sisters. He wants us to be closer than that. Closer than family, even. We use the metaphor of family a lot in the church because... Well, we live in a culture where the nuclear family is sort of the way of doing things. But in Paul's day, in Paul's age, the nuclear family was a product of Roman colonialism. It was an outsider's idea. They didn't live in nuclear families. They lived in great big households filled with all different generations of people. So Paul wants us to be closer than families. He wants us really to be organs in a body, a level of intimacy that is inseparable. And he says that we cannot be separated from one another. I think that there's a lot of separation going on in our communities today. For reasons that I don't understand, there's a particular species of human being, a particular flavor of person, I count myself among them, who upon looking out into the world and they see something incredibly stupid, they're unable to let it go. They're unable to just get on with their day and change the channel. They get angry, write letters, that's me, I'm that guy. 50 years ago, I would have been writing a letter to the editor every day. <laughs> we don't really do letters to the editor anymore. Instead, we go to city council meetings and yell at the mayor. Uh, that's typically how I let off my steam. I saw something that was so dumb once. I lived in a city, and they were trying to pass an ordinance that said that you had to drive around bicyclists on the road. They had to give them five feet of space. You couldn't just run them over. <laughs> and people were furious. They said, oh my God, I'm going to be late for work. I don't ride a bicycle. But when I saw the opposition to this, I thought, you people are out of your minds. I went to the 
city council meeting. And I said, give the bicyclists, the, 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 pass the thing. They're bicyclists, for God's sakes. They're healthier than the rest of us. We need to protect these people. When I made my comments, a gentleman who owned a cafe in that town came up to me and said, Nathan, I have no idea you are an avid bicyclist. I said, Bill, I haven't ridden a bicycle since I was 12 years old. He said, what are you doing here? I said, I just, I, thought it was, I see something dumb on the news. I have to do something about it. That Sunday, he walked up to my church pushing a Schwinn bicycle from about 1962. It was a Schwinn juggernaut. Weighs about 100 pounds. He said, I want to see you pedaling around town in this thing. I said, I'll figure it out. The thing turns like a yak. I got to plan my journey. There can be no hills of any kind. Otherwise, I have to call a tow truck. But it's a beautiful bicycle. I still have it to this day. We all know about, most of us anyway, know about the silliness that's happening out in Ottawa County. We follow and pray for our sister church in Hudsonville as they stand up against this creeping tide of fascism right in our own backyard, this madness, throwing children out of schools, closing libraries. There's a young man who lives in Ottawa County who I've noticed has been going to every single one of these council meetings and telling the truth as he sees it. He just says, this isn't who we are. This isn't our history. I've lived here my whole life. I've never seen our community turn against itself in this way. His name is Joe Spaulding, and I've been following his journey. Now, he's not a, a, a student. He's not, a, he's not a, to the best of my knowledge, he's, a, he's not a queer person or an LGBTQ person. He's a normal guy, he's similar to me. He just can't, he can't abide. He can't, he can't stand by and watch this nastiness fester. And so he's been going to these meetings, and he's been just speaking out. And he's attracted a lot of negative attention because most people would probably prefer that he would just sit and be quiet, but he's not going to do that. And the people that are trying to shut down the library and kick people out of town, they really don't like this guy. But he still does it. And you know, he wrote something uh, this week. It was a statement that he was giving when somebody asked him, why are you doing this? You don't have to do any of this. And he said, and I want to quote, uh, because it hit me so hard. He said, um, the only thing that truly gives me hope is at the core of every human being I've ever encountered. When you strip away every single speck of politics and posturing, you find almost nothing except compassion. A beautiful sentiment from this Joe Spaulding, a gentleman who simply tells the truth. He doesn't do it because he enjoys it. He does it because he loves people. And he knows that despite all the politics and posturing that's going on in his little village right now, that the people are almost nothing except compassion, he says. I'm pretty... Uh, I'm pretty pretty furious <laughs> about something. I normally wouldn't talk about this, but it's, it's important to me. Um, I've volunteered in the past with an organization that, call, uh, that is called Unchained at Last. Unchained at Last is a national organization here in the U.S. 
and they fight to end child marriage in the United States. It comes as a surprise to many people that there are child marriages in the U.S. We think that we are beyond that. But the reality is that there's no federal statute for this. It's left, as they say, to the states. And many states have laws that say that a child at the age of 13 or 14 can be married with the permission of their parents. In almost all cases, of course, it's young girls. In many of the cases, it's in very small communities. But this organization, Unchained at Last, is working very hard to pass laws in all 50 states that forbids child marriage. So it says, nope, if you're under 18, you can't be married, which is reasonable. I, in fact, I've never met anybody. I haven't met a single person who thought that that was unreasonable. And so over the course of this, past winter and spring, they've brought this legislation to Michigan, a state that is perfectly reasonable, and they passed it. It passed very quickly. There was very little fighting about this law. And so, thank God, now in Michigan, at last, child marriage is officially illegal. The Michigan House of Representatives has 110 members, and six of them voted against this bill. There were six of the 110 who voted to keep child marriage legal in Michigan. And one of them, one of those six, was my own representative from my little town that I live in. Someone who I see in the grocery store all the time. When I saw my representative's name on that list of six, the amount of anger that filled me, the raw rage that I felt toward them as a father, as a pastor, was too much for words. In fact, my emotions are threatening to interrupt my sermon at this very moment. Can I strip away the specks of politics and posturing from my representative? and see a compassionate person beneath there? That's my work. That's my labor. That's the water that goes upon that mustard seed, grows into the kingdom of heaven. This past week, I had occasion to meet with pastors from UCC churches in the Grand Rapids area to try and come up with a solution for one of our new churches. Michigan has many new UCC church starts. At General Synod uh, last month, a month ago, they always have the new churches, the, the baby churches that we're planting. They make a big deal out of it. We don't plant a whole lot of churches, so it's important. Over half of them were from Michigan. Michigan is on fire with new church starts. And one of them is right here in, in Grand Rapids. It's called Envivo. Envivo United Church of Christ. They have a Spanish language, and they're LGBTQ friendly. They're a marvelous little congregation. They worship radically differently than we do. Um, they worship around round tables. But because they're a small church, they were being housed in another church, a second, a second a congregational church. And second, as many of you know, recently voted to leave the United Church of Christ. We, we, we don't know why. Um, it's not something that typically happens. In fact, it's very rare uh, that it happens, but they did. And they told this little church plant that they had two days to vacate the building. 
So many of us pastors got together to try and find a solution. And we'll find a home for them. They're a beautiful congregation of, of people who worship. And we have lots of churches, thank God, with chapels and spaces that they can use. But my anger toward the leadership of that church to evict Christians like that uh, with such disregard for their well-being, for their faith, for their holiness, it made me so angry. I have to strip away the politics and posturing see the compassion that's in there. Jesus isn't telling us how to get pie in the sky when we die. That's not what the kingdom of heaven is. The kingdom of heaven isn't simply a place that we go and we're done here. In fact, in each one of these parables, Jesus says it takes work. In each one of these parables, he says it's something we're chasing after, something we're seeking here while we're still here. The kingdom of heaven is on earth. That's not a radical proposition, although it seems like that in this day and age. There, in fact, there's, a, there's a, a, band, a group of musicians out of Nashville, Tennessee. They're from the Disciples of Christ, our sister denomination. They write, they write music for children. Okay? Children's songs based in the gospel. And they have a song. This, the band is called Butterfly Fish. Love them. Butterfly fish. What a great metaphor for Jesus Christ, right? The butterfly and then the fish. Okay. And they have a song called The Gospel Story. And in this song, The Gospel Story, the lyrics go, uh, it's, a, it's sort of a bluegrass song. It says something, I ain't going up to heaven when I die. I ain't going to soar where the angels fly because heaven's coming down here. That's the gospel story and that's the gospel plan. Because that's what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't say that we flit off to some other world. It says in Revelation, it says Jesus' own words, that heaven comes to earth, descends like a bride, down to here where we live. And so it is incumbent upon us Christians to seek out the kingdom of God, to find it. And I think that unless we are willing to, as uh, Mr. Spaulding says, Strip away those specks of politics and posturing. Find that compassion for the people who we feel such anger for. We're going to be walking through life with blinders on. Blind to the presence of the kingdom of God here in our very midst where we are right now. God has joined us together. God has said uh, through Paul, says, I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us, he is saying, at that deep, holy, spiritual level, at the level of the architecture of creation, down beneath the, 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 this mortal stuff, down where the world, beneath this world resides, we cannot be separated from one another. We may posture, we may make politics, we may make cruel choices. We may look at the other and see not a person, but rather an ideology or a category of person. <laughs> but Paul says you can do that all day long. You can do that as often as you want. You'll never be separated from them. You can't be. You are one thing, God's own creation, capable of viewing itself like a mirror. You can't be separated. In fact, Jesus goes so far as to say, treat your neighbor as yourself. 
Note that he doesn't say, Jesus doesn't say, treat your neighbor as if it were yourself. Jesus doesn't say, treat your neighbor the way that you would like your neighbor to treat you. No, it's much more intimate than that. Treat your neighbor as yourself. As yourself. It is though he is saying, try as you might, you are your neighbor. When I go into the hospitals and visit people in pain and suffering, sit with their families. I'll tell you this. I don't see parishioner sitting in that hospital bed. I don't see wife crying at her husband's pain. I see myself in that bed. I see myself in that pain because that's what Jesus wants us to see. That's you. And when you harm another person, you're harming yourself. When a person is cast out from community or denied something, we are denying it to ourselves. But when a person is loved, treated with respect, and shown compassion, compassion with pain, come with passion, pain, when their pain is our pain, then we are living into the gospel story. We are in the kingdom of heaven. We found our way. And try as we might, we cannot know who is in or who is out, who is elect, who's reprobate. Paul says this. And he says that only God, only God knows it is God who justifies. Personally, I believe that this means that all are elect. And so I treat every single person on this planet, not in the way that I would like to be treated, but as though it were myself there. And so when I do see that house representative buying groceries at the store, after having watched them publicly support something that I find absolutely reprehensible, I by needs, because I am a man who is trying to be a Christian, I see myself standing there. Convicted, indicted, and bound up in that system of pain. God has joined us together, kindred, with binds, with ties that bind, blessed ties that bind. And there is nothing on earth, least of all ourselves, that can undo those ties. We're one. That's the truth. What God has joined together, none can separate. This week I want to be a little Christ. I want to be a Christian. I want to have only the kingdom of God around me and Jesus Christ before me, behind me, beside me, and within me. And so I will strive to remember that there is only one, that it is us. We cannot be separated. And that at the very core is nothing but compassion. That's the gospel story. Amen.